I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes, the biggest season yet for Survivor jumps out of the gate, guns blazing. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun, a look back at the Oscars, and I'll review a new Canadian movie, eh? Take off, eh? <laughs> and with Sonic the Hedgehog out this weekend, we'll look back at some of the best, but mostly worst, video game movies of all time. Coming for you. It's the biggest battle in Survivor history. 20 returning winners. Coming back out here, I can feel my blood starting to rise. It's like the Super Bowl, 20 years in the making. Let the fireworks begin. It's the most anticipated Survivor season of all time. To win an all-winner season, it blows everything out the water. My competition here is the greatest of the great. Everybody out here was the best at one time. Who doesn't want to play with the best? Survivor, winners at war. Premieres in February. The biggest season yet, the 40th season of Survivor, Winners at War, which hails from CBS in the United States and airs on global TV in Canada. It is the landmark reality show that debuted in May of 2000. Survivor is 20 years old. And it very quickly became a cultural phenomenon, like instantly. I remember reading about it in TV Guide. Remember TV Guide? Barely. And they they, <laughs> they used to do previews for new shows, and right. I read about Survivor, and I thought, well, that sounds like just about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, boy, was I wrong. It went on to become an immediate juggernaut. Like, by its second week, it gained, it gained 18 million viewers, and its finale in August was watched by 51.7 million people in the U.S. alone. It was a show that caused other shows to step up their game, like Friends. Remember when Friends started bringing in big movie stars like Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis? Yeah. I think that was the survivor effect. Huh. It remained a consistent top 20 performer for 23 seasons, but it's since dropped off a little bit. It's now in the top 30 of shows on TV in the U.S., but wherever it's ranked, it has some of the most passionate fans in television, and every single one of those fans is jacked for this season. And by the way, in Canada, it is consistently one of the top shows, usually like top two, top three, so Canadians love Survivor. And in this case, 20 winners, old school and new school. Will the old school be able to keep pace with the new school? Will the new school be able to outwit the wily veterans from the old school. E.T. Canada's Sangeeta Patel got to visit Survivor Island in Fiji for a week. And he spoke to every single contestant, which was so interesting for me because they didn't know who was on the male side and the females, the males didn't know who were on the female side. So I was kind of picking at them to see who they would want to be there. And they were really all excited. A lot of them were nervous too because 20 years ago, what were they doing? Or uh, they've all grown, they've become parents or they've changed their job. So um, for me to be able to talk to all of them and also talk to Jeff and meet him on the tribal council set, and it, it was just it was so cool to see the way they make this show. It was interesting. I kind of stepped back a little bit because I was overwhelmed to see the team. There's over 500 people working on this show. There's over, I don't even know how many cameras there were there. Uh, but everything is legit. You are watching exactly how the cameras are shooting. They don't stop. The minute the contestants get off the boat to do the competition, it's real. Like, that all is just real time. And you have to trust your directors. you got to trust what Jeff Probst is doing as well. So it, 
it was incredible to see how they actually need to survive because the second day when I saw some of the contestants, they were deprived of water. They were deprived of food and you could see the sun and the heat was already getting to them and the paramedics check on them to make sure they're okay. But overall, they are trying to survive to get that $2 million. And who was Sangeeta Patel most excited to meet? Oh my gosh. Okay. Everyone loves her. I didn't understand why. I mean, what is it about her? I saw her walking by. I'm like, okay, fine. She comes and sits down with me. And the minute you look into her eyes, I was convinced she was the queen. She has a sense of pulling you into her energy. And I'm like, I understand why this woman is so sexy. And I understand why this woman has a way of winning this game. And I think she's going to take it far. She really is. So, Jeff, what did you think of the two-hour premiere? I loved it. I, at first when I saw, oh, two hours, come on, Survivor. I've got other stuff to do tonight besides just watch you. And I watched, last week they had that retrospective, and I still had that on the PVR. So I watched that earlier in the afternoon on Wednesday. Okay. And then... And that got me just hyped for the show. And it started. And right from the jump, I was all in. I was like, oh, I know them and them and them and them. There was maybe two or three people I had to look out or look up. And even then, I sort of recognized the faces. Everybody except for Denise, who is one of the players I actually have in our office pool. I've got Denise and Danny. So if one of them goes all the way, I win some money. Nice. But I couldn't remember her for the life of me. And even when I looked her up and saw photos or when they showed flashbacks and showed her with like Malcolm, I was like, oh, I remember that guy, but I don't remember her. But but besides that, I was just like, wow, this is awesome to have all these people back, some of whom we hadn't seen in forever. Yule was always my favorite. Anytime someone said, who's your favorite contestant ever, I would just default to Yule because he he was very smart about everything. And he best articulated the strategy of voting out the quote-unquote crazy person as quickly as you can because keeping someone around when you have no idea what they are going to do is worse than like keeping an enemy who's you know, moves you can predict, which is, and every year since Yule, whenever there's somebody that's a wild card like that and they hem and haw about getting rid of that person, I'm like, get rid of them. They'll screw up your game because you don't know what they're going to do. And we've seen that a few times. I can't remember their names right now, but you know when there's a contestant that's just bonkers and they just go back and forth and from one moment to the next and nobody, like, how are you supposed to play like that, right? Yeah, for sure. So, so I'm I'm all in on Yule. Uh, he's who I'm rooting for. But I will say when they were walking into that very first um, tribal council, I was, I was bummed. I was like, I don't want anybody to go home just yet because usually episode one, there's at least one person who's super obnoxious that you're like, get the hell off my TV, please. <laughs> and, and surely they'll be voted out because everyone's annoyed by them. But this wasn't that case. And I wasn't really prepared to start letting go of people already. And then it was a double episode and we lost two people. Yeah, no, I, it was good to see some familiar faces, but... There were a few that I wasn't quite familiar with. I didn't actually take the time to look them up. Some of them I just forgot about, like Michelle. She uh, she was one of the winners, and I think she... Uh, she was... Uh, she was I, I remember being mad when she won, because uh, she went up against... Um, well, there was a little guy, a little bald guy with glasses. Yep, right. I can't remember his name. He was a real sort of colorful character. Yeah. And uh, Audrey, I think, was the other one in right. that finale. Aubrey, yeah. Aubrey pardon me, yeah. And, uh, but Michelle ended up winning. So I think I remember being upset by that because I didn't think she deserved it. And I flat out don't remember Denise. I don't remember Sophie. I thought maybe... And they're not even that long ago, right? Well, and that's the thing. I just looked up Sophie. I thought maybe Sophie was in there because there was a period I forgot that there was a period where I didn't watch I think I watched because I didn't start till season four uh, okay Marquesas which I think was Boston Rob season yep and uh, I 
Or was it Boston Rob season? It was. Yeah? Okay. It was, And the gimmick was men versus women. Oh, that's start. right. And so that's the season I started. And then I think I watched until 13, 14, 15. I can't remember. I skipped a few seasons because I, I got kind of bored of it. And they did have a bit of a down period where it wasn't as good as it had been. But I heard season 19 was crazy. That was the one with Russell. Yeah, right. He juiced it up a bit. Yeah, he went. He went looking for immunity idols without clues. I think, which changed the game because now they just put them out there and don't give out clues. Yeah, and uh, season twenty is when I came back, and that was the heroes versus villains. And I think that was the first season that was in HD, if okay. memory serves. But when I went, I remember putting that show on, and it felt like just seeing an old friend yeah. for the first time in years. But it, like having that instant level of comfort and since then I have stuck with it there have been a couple of seasons where I just dropped out like I'm not watching the end of this maybe that's why I don't remember Sophie because she won season 23 and I have zero recollection of her she's in my pool and uh, Natalie is also in my I, I ended up with Natalie in the pool oh. so I won't get won't we get in the into same that. pool yeah, I, I, I joined the pool late. Oh, okay. I joined the pool late, so that's how I ended up with... Well, you got Natalie. I got oh, Natalie. Oh, because I thought somebody else had it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, because oh, yeah, there was one person who ended up with four. Right. Because they didn't... Not have, enough people. Yeah, right. so I got two. So, you, but, who'd you say you have? Natalie and who else? Natalie and Sophie. Sophie. Ah, I, Sophie could be a sleeper. I don't remember Denise at all. Uh, most of the... Uh, Danny, by name, I don't remember. Just looking at the list of names. But uh, regardless, I thought it was super exciting. Interesting to see as well how some of the old school people were scared because they weren't keeping up because we often see that yeah. when they bring back one or two returning players who haven't played for a while and the game really has evolved the social element of the game the strategizing oh, absolutely has evolved uh, so you did see a couple of the older players just not keeping up they it was like they were completely baffled by yeah. survivor and it sort of felt like Rob and Parvati might be going down that road but then they just they bent that tribe to their will. Like I was like, oh my god, this is insane. When he was just started grilling Ben and just like in like three questions got Ben to just tell him everything. Yeah. The, I just I laughed. I laughed out loud a bunch at stuff like that. And then on the other tribe, Sandra was just like instilling her will into that tribe too. And she's just like, Rob, or yeah, Boston Rob lied to me about coming back. Period. So we gotta get out Amber just for revenge. And she just like in two sentences convince the rest of the tribe to do what it felt like and just the look in her eyes you can just it just it's like frightening how good those people are at it but it will be interesting to see if like I was just like you guys are morons for not getting rid of Boston Rob and Sandra immediately yeah how do you not just it's like don't even talk about anything just do it well and that's what's funny about this they're all winners yeah. and yet there are some winners who are clearly revered by all survivor players and every like the boston robs mm -hmm. like the sanders even the parvities and it was also cool to see some of the new school people just flat out scared yeah. to be around the old school people <laughs> like you mentioned ben. with ben because they revere them but yeah if sandra's allowed to carry on in the game then they're idiots same for parvity and boston rob uh new twist as well everyone gets these fire tokens and they can buy things they never it. had that before so no i'm curious to see how that if it turns out to be a good twist or a useless twist because they often introduce these useless twists but uh, the, because so yeah. many of these twists turn out to be kind of meh like edge of extinction for example if yes to be fair the winner of the season came from edge of extinction but i was hoping that more people would come back through the season so i'm hoping they change up that formula this yeah, time yeah. and it's not just one person i think maybe it was two people who came back i can't remember one halfway
way through and then one right near the end who ended up winning. So hopefully they've, I'm, I, if that's what they're doing, I don't like it, but I'll sort of take it because of the greatest hits nature of the season. But I do hope that they've tweaked whatever's going on with that. And I think this token thing, yeah, like you said, well, hopefully it pays off. It, it could, it couldn't. They're pretty good about ditching stuff that doesn't work pretty quickly. And they're also good about adopting stuff that just does work, like we mentioned, like when Russell just, just started finding idols without clues. They're like, I guess we don't need to go through the clue business anymore. We yeah. just throw five idols on the island and they'll all get found. And I should also point out as well, like you mentioned that retrospective, and that was helpful, but they, in that retrospective, they didn't focus specifically on every cast member. So it, uh, I thought that's... I was sort of frustrated by the fact that we're going into this season, they made a big deal out of 20 winners, but they they didn't give us that, like, okay, yeah. this person won this survivor, here's a highlight reel for them, from their time. Like, just give us 30 seconds or a minute on each contestant, and then we all sort of have this base yeah. going into the season, uh, instead of having to Google each person. Although maybe that's by design, maybe they want you to go to cbs.com okay. or whatever. I, I, I also like that uh, I, when Sarah won, I remember not being impressed by her at all, but I was impressed with her yesterday. Like, she seems like she knows what's up and that she's you know, she's, she is plugged into who's talking to who and what's going on, that sort of thing. And I also liked both Tony and, uh, what's his name, Tyson. Those are both guys that, like, were just as loud as can be kind of guys that are just took over the game. And they both were like, hey, I got to be a little bit more uh, suave and sophisticated this time around. And Tyson's just like, okay, this is clearly backfiring on me. Time to change it up instead of just raging ahead like a bull. Yeah, so it's going to be a good season, so yeah. let us know what you think on Twitter at CouchPotato68. Up next, we'll tell you what's coming to home video this week, including a Best Picture nominee. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Time to have a quick look at what is coming to home video. Hello, neighbor. This Thursday, you're invited back to the neighborhood. Think about all the people who loved us into being. It's the movie we need right now. Isn't that perfect? A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Rated PG. That's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, of course, coming to Blu-ray and DVD on Tuesday, February 18th, starring Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. Uh, he got nominated, did not win, of course, at the Oscars. I would have thrown this in for a Best Picture nomination, too. They don't let me decide those sort of things, Brent. <laughs> did you see it? I did see it, and it's fantastic. Uh, it will make you cry, but it's a lovely little movie. I think I gave it four and a half couch cushions out of five. Another good movie, Jojo Rabbit, that was nominated for Best Picture and did win the Best Original Screenplay Award for Taika Waititi, who also directed it. That's a story set in World War II in Nazi Germany about a 10-year-old boy who wants more than anything to be a Nazi soldier because he's a little boy who's been indoctrinated by the propaganda. It sounds weird. It's a satire. It's very actually kind of sweet, and it's very funny. It's very clever. It's definitely worth a look if you think you can find the humor in something like that, if it's done the right way. And another sort of war movie on a Blu-ray and DVD on Tuesday, Midway, on uh, that got terrible reviews and tanked at the box office. So <laughs> probably better to rent it if you're going to watch it at all. <laughs> and then on uh, Digital HD, oh. another movie that didn't really do anything, Charlie's Angels. That's the one directed and co-starring Elizabeth Banks. And yes. Kristen Stewart was the... Uh, the headlining angel. The main angel. The one angel people knew. Yeah. She smiles more in the trailer for that than I've ever seen her smile in my life. Yeah. Because she's the uh, queen of the pouty face from the Twilight movies. Now, on to Taika Waititi with this Jojo Rabbit movie. This is a movie that when it came out, it came out early, like, was it May? Uh, Something. 2019? I, 
I think I saw it. I don't know when I saw it. I thought it was more fallish or summerish. Oh, yeah. I guess it was September. All right. There, yeah. The release date, September 18th for TIFF for the Toronto. And then, oh, it says October 18th, United States. Okay. I don't know why I thought it came out in May. Regardless, <laughs> the, the point I'm trying to make here is when it did come out, there was a lot of controversy surrounding this film. A lot of people were upset and angry about it. But it seemed to, through especially through Oscar season, it seemed to gain more positive momentum to the point yeah. where it was considered a dark horse to win. Yeah. And absolutely. And I think it was a lot of the quote unquote controversy came from people who, you know, didn't like the sound of it on paper, but had never seen it. Yeah. So Taika Waititi, though, I think we are witnessing uh, the evolution of someone who is probably going to be a uh, revered, legendary director. Yeah. Uh, He'll be back in a couple of decades. Yeah. He's a made bright guy. He can do it all. Made Thor Ragnarok, one yeah. of the best Marvel movies. Yeah. He can do the big action movies. He can clearly do comedy. Yeah. He's a, a smart writer, tackle the big topics and still find you know ways to make these stories unique and uh, put, some, put a different spin on them. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of what he brings to the table. Up next, there's a big movie out this weekend based on a big video game. So we'll look back at some of the best and mostly the worst video game movies of all time you're listening to the couch potatoes i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes there is a movie out this weekend based on a popular video game one of the most popular in fact i'm sonic i'm here to protect my friends the government wants to dissect you and arrest me we gotta lay low let me show you how it's done time to go coming for you. That was an illegal left, by the way. Here comes the boom. How are you not dead? I have no idea. Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm okay. That's right, Sonic the Hedgehog. Surprisingly, it is getting decent reviews. Now, I say surprisingly because most movies based on video games do not get decent reviews. Like, off the top of your head, Jeff, what do you think of for video game movies? I th- oh, the one that comes to mind is Super Mario Brothers, which yeah. I suspect, like Sonic, the movie and the game have almost nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why are you even doing this? Like, it's so weird. Yeah. It's like, because this isn't a movie. Like, how is Sonic a movie? It's just a guy running pell-mell through a bunch of obstacles and stuff. Yeah, well, I guess he's got other powers, too. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see how yeah, they do it. I guess it. we will find out. Yeah, like, like I said, it's, it looks like it's going to be worse having a look at this film but yeah Super Mario Brothers in 1993 was I never saw it me neither I've because seen parts of it though. The, the, the reviews of that the word on the street was just awful same for 1994's Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> I remember being so excited that they were making it but then it looked so bad and They're, it got such terrible reviews well again that's a video game where it's just a, like a two person fighter button masher kind of game yeah how is that a movie? That's not a movie. Well, Did you ever see uh, Double Dragon? I wa- actually, Oh, yeah, Double Dragon. I watched that movie because a, a podcast I listened to about bad movies did it as an episode a couple months ago, and uh, wow, that had nothing to do with the video game either. Ah, that's But at terrible. least in that video game, there there's a scenario of them like walking through the street fighting people, and I guess that sort of happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and then this one, they... I actually think this movie did sort of okay at adapting the video game into a coherent film. Oh, this has got to be one of the best movie themes ever. Absolutely. Used to dance to the song at the bar in the <laughs> 1990s. And the movie had people squaring off and fighting, right? That's right. 1995's Mortal Kombat. That movie was about this tournament 
where if you won the tournament, basically they were fighting for like the realm of Earth, and if the yeah. evil Shang Tsung won the tournament or whatever, then the overworld or outer world or whatever they were called would come and invade. So you, they were fighting for Earth, and they kind of did an okay job. Looking back on it, it is very cheesy. But it's and Christopher Lambert's playing Raiden. <laughs> but uh, it's the exact right idea for a movie about a video game of people squaring off and fighting is to have that happen in the movie a bunch. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that makes sense. There was a sequel in 1997 that I never saw because it looked terrible. <laughs> there is a new one coming next year, and I know that there there is a series like a short film or a, there's a, a web series of Mortal Kombat where it's more. Gritty and grounded in reality. I highly recommend looking that one up. I really enjoyed that. What about this one? Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. The future is yours now, Lara. Your seeing eye. Groomed by the elite. Have you ever heard of the Clock of Ages? It gives its possessor power of the people of the light. And trained, trained for combat. We can be partners. You might try to kill me. I'm not going to kill you. I said you'd try. So that came out 2001, starring Angelina Jolie. Did you th- see that one? I will tell you this. I went to Blockbuster, and I rented Laura Croft Tomb Raider, and I went home, and I watched, and 20 minutes later, I... Wound the tape, took it out, and went back to Blockbuster. Didn't even ask for my money back, just threw it in the slot and went home. It is literally the only time I've ever returned a rented movie without finishing watching it. Wow. Yeah. That's how much I did not care for the, at least the opening of that. Maybe it got better, but I wasn't about to waste a nice Saturday afternoon on it. Oh, man. I've never done that. I, and I think when it comes to actually renting video games, when you used to do that, I, yeah. I, I rented Ninja Gaiden 3 or Ninja Gaiden 3 on the Nintendo entertainment system and it was those games were notoriously hard but you always had unlimited continues but this one you had three continues and then you had to start over so like i think i made it to the second level and then i i I, my game ended and i had to start from the very beginning so i said forget this and (laughs) and the same thing that was within 20 minutes i returned it and said i can't play this game it's impossible uh anyway back to video game movies i actually don't mind the Lara Croft Tomb Raider series. There's 2001 was the original, 2003 with the uh, with the sequel, The Cradle of Life, which I believe co-starred Gerard Butler. Jeff. Oh my, maybe the I should Butler check that first. one out. I'll have to check that one out. <laughs> and then there was the reboot in 2018 starring Alicia Vikander, which looked really cool. She looked great in the role because Angelina Jolie was sort of modeled after the original Lara Croft, which was like curvy and sexy right. and voluptuous. And then they re when they rebooted the character in the video games, they made her more athletic. And uh, Alicia Vikander took up that role. And she's a wonderful actress. It looked cool, so I don't know. I think that's one I'll, I'll watch at random one day. Uh, a couple of other examples. Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within in 2001. That was an all-animated movie, and I think people, a lot of things people were saying about that was, this looks like so real, why not just use real people? Uh, I never saw it, <laughs> though. And I've only ever played the original Final Fantasy video game. The Resident Evil series. Did you ever watch any of those, or is that too scary for Way you? Way too scary for me. That's a series. That's about zombies and mutants. And uh, six of those movies starring Mila Jeez. Jovovich. First one came out in 2002. Uh, there was another one in 2006 called Silent Hill, which is uh, another scary one. By all accounts, like that one didn't get the best reviews, but those who do like it at least say it, it honors the game. Hmm. And I remember thinking it looked pretty creepy. So uh, one of the worst movies I've ever seen, ever seen. <laughs> 
is 2007's Hitman oh, starring my. your boy Timothy Oliphant. Hey, he can't be good in everything, right? Well, I mean, I'm, part of the reason why I think I hated it so much is I got there like when the previews were already on, and it was I, I unexpectedly busy. It was a weeknight. I thought it would be dead, but I got there and I had to sit in the second row, like on the far right. So that's I, not what you want for an action movie. No, my neck is craned to the left the whole time. Couldn't even see what was going on, but it was still pretty bad. The sequel, Hitman Agent 47, which came out in 2015, my dad loves that movie. Really? Yeah. So I never, I never saw that one. Uh, Max Payne in 2008, Mark Wahlberg. Again, this is a, a big movie star, and it was based on a video game. I think the first ever game that incorporated like the Matrix-style bullet time right. into its game, but it was awful. Hmm. Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time in 2010. It's with Gyllenhaal, right? Yeah, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. By all accounts, that one actually was not bad. Do you remember in 2014, Need for Speed? Is that with uh, Jesse Pinkman and Batman? Yeah. Michael I, Keaton's in it, right? Michael Keaton is in it. That's yeah. right, yeah. Aaron Paul is in it. Dominic Cooper, who plays a young version of Tony Stark's dad in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Rami Malek really? was in that movie. Now, again, that's just a... a the video game is just a regular race car or just a racing game. I believe so. they just know invented some game. story to go with it. That's that's so weird. That's just we're just taking advantage of the title we own. Yeah, it, yeah. it was. I think it was like a cross country race. Yeah, uh, I so played. The, I think I've played the game. I think it's a PlayStation. Game. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. It, it was okay. The car action was cool. The movie was kind of dumb. I never saw the Angry Birds movies. Apparently, they're not bad. Yeah, the second one got way better reviews yeah. than the first one. Did you see Rampage? No. Since you like The Rock? I don't. That I came out 2018. Ouch. That's based on that game where the, the three monsters... The, the whole point I of the game the is to just game. climb buildings and smash them. Yeah. Either as a large gorilla. Right. Uh, was that a lizard? And then a... A, a wolf, big giant cat wolf. Or a wolf yeah. And then finally, last year we had Poke- Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which also looked like it was fun. It looked very cute. I wish I would have got into that. Are you going to go back and watch... Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, to re-enter the Butler vs. Jeff Braun. Maybe just the sequel. I'll just uh, read the Wikipedia page for the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, we want to talk about the Oscars. We have to do a recap on the Oscars as we close out that season. And Jeff's got a review of a new Canadian movie out this weekend. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. I watched a movie this week. It's called Nose to Tail. It's a Canadian independent movie. It opens in a few cities this weekend in Calgary, Winnipeg, and Toronto. It's a movie about a chef who owns a little fancy restaurant. And again, I had a chance to see it this week. Here we go. Fire two soups. Yes, yes chef. chef. Fire four veg. Fire two meat. Yes, chef. Thank you. This has never happened before. I don't know what you want me to do for you. I just want you to cut me a break. And all of a sudden, you don't trust me? Like, all of a sudden, my word's no good? No. I can't. You invited me. I haven't been here in a while. I do something. Let me think something. Please don't walk out on me. Why not? Give me one good reason. First off, let's get this out of the way. There used to be the stigma about Canadian movies that they look terrible, like low-budget VHS movies or something. Now, it was true because the budgets were low. They are still low, those budgets, but it doesn't mean anymore that they really have to sacrifice the look of the movie for it. To be fair, there aren't a lot of huge sweeping outdoor crane shots with hundreds of extras or anything in this movie, but it also doesn't look like the littlest hobo. It actually looks pretty good. It's mostly confined to this one restaurant, which helped keep the budget down, I'm sure, and the only giveaway that it is even a Canadian movie is 
that there's this occasional presence of an accent, which we wouldn't even notice in real life, but I think we notice in movies because 99% of what we see comes from the U.S. Maybe another giveaway is the smoking. You never see that in modern movies from Hollywood anymore, but the main guy smokes in this. His name is Daniel. He owns a restaurant. He's the head chef. He's played by a guy whose name I'm blanking on, Aaron Abrams, who you may remember, he was in Hannibal. He was one of the two forensics people in the lab that they went to every now and then, and he's often used as comic relief, if I remember correctly. Now, when I say he owns a restaurant, I mean he rents the space. He hasn't been paying that rent, and that's one of many financial problems he's having. He also owes money to some of his suppliers, and when it comes to his wine stock, he drinks a lot of it himself. He also seems to be addicted to painkillers because of a bad back, and he's a bit of a hothead. And that's where I think the movie is really successful, because the way he treats people should have everyone in his life abandoning him, but he's charming enough as a character and an actor that they and we, the audience, can still get on board with him and even root for him. Sometimes he's also kind of pathetic and you just feel sorry for him. The plot of the movie is very simple. There's not really a plot. It's that he's having a bad day, and his problems keep piling up. Everyone he owes wants uh, he owes to wants their money. One of his chefs quits. His girlfriend, the hostess, is on his back. His ex drops by with some terrible news, uh, and he has a big investor coming to the restaurant for dinner that night. So everything has to be perfect. So there's a lot of tension and drama there, and a lot of laughs as well. I found it all pretty effective. There are other movies in this vein, like Big Night and Chef, and it would work really well as a TV series. I was actually thinking while I was watching it. I mentioned his girlfriend. She's played by the lady who was Freddie Lowndes on Hannibal, so there's weirdly a lot of Hannibal actors in this show, uh, or this movie, sorry. The only thing that I really didn't like was the score. It's got this slow jazz score that got on my nerves really quick, which slow jazz is prone to do anyways. Overall, though, I thought it was a pretty decent outing. I'm not sure how big of a theatrical run it'll have, but if you ever see it pop up to rent or watch on a streaming site, definitely check it out. Again, it's called Nose to Tail, three and a half couch cushions out of five. All right, we got about four minutes left here. Let's have a quick recap of the Oscars. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. You called it last week, Jeff. I got to yep. be honest, I didn't think there was a chance. I really? knew it was a dark horse, but I figured 1917 was a lock. And uh, Parasite did end up having the momentum which you pointed out. Ah, and I picked it for Best Original Screenplay over my boy Quentin Tarantino, which it also won. And I did pick 1917 for Best Director, which I was wrong because director Bong Joon-ho won for Parasite as well. And, and Oh, and then the Best... Uh, international film at once. So. Yeah. I was also Big surprised that uh, 1917 didn't win, did not win the best production design. Was that Parasite or, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But yeah. That's people driving down the street they drive down every day. Then Quentin Tarantino changes it to the 60s. while And they're still driving down it every day looking at it in real life. So I really think that the literal location of that production had a lot to do with that win. Yeah. I thought the Oscar, the, the broadcast, in spite of the fact that it was the lowest rated ever... I found it among the most entertaining I've ever seen. Yeah, and it flew by. Like, just the way... I feel like they like did like a forensic deep dive, like a minute-by-minute uh, inspection of how these things go or whatever, because they were... You know, it was... If you couldn't have... Uh, if you didn't have the attention span, it didn't matter, because it didn't really slow down enough. They were always moving on to the next thing real quickly. I think all the music helped. I don't really care for music in award show, but it did make the pacing... Go by real quick. Yeah, it was 23.6 million viewers. That's below, way below the 29.56 million for last year's awards. So I'm wondering as well if maybe the fact that there's no host, maybe that plays into it. Like they, I think it's just 
people are just sort of done with award shows compared to how they used to be. Yeah. And the fact that most of the nominees, most people likely haven't seen, mm-hmm. you know, like a movie like Parasite, guarantee. I know that it's gaining momentum, but most people have not seen it. And most people, quite frankly, probably will not watch it because <laughs> it is a foreign film. Yeah. The subtitles just destroys people somehow. And I also was reading comments uh, from websites or whatever in the States. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in the U.S., apparently, if you... On ABC, you had to have cable to watch it. Even if you didn't have cable but had the ABC Go app that you paid for, it wasn't on there. Okay. It was only available if you had cable, which would have, which is insane because that cuts out so many people under 35, Yeah, which is the audience they need to get to keep this thing going years down the road. It's not going to be hard to cancel it altogether in 20 years if most people in middle age never watched it anyways because they couldn't when they were younger. That's a very good point. Wow, that's insightful. I, I think my favorite moment of the Oscars, aside from, uh, well, hey, Eminem uh, oh, performing. Oh, okay. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, yeah. his vomit on a sweater already, mom's spaghetti, he's nervous. Yeah, that was a huge surprise, but my favorite moment came from Lin-Manuel Miranda with his musical reference. We'd be crazy to miss out on highlighting those songs that have been attached to movies and that have forever impacted our collective memory. Moon River, Rainbow Connection, Danger Zone, T-U-R-T-L-E Power by Partners in Crime. What is that? Turtle Power from the (laughs) Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. You remember this? I do. I didn't catch what you said. Power. (laughs) Power. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe it's been 30 years since this song, since that movie came out. But that was an immediate flood of memories. I still have the soundtrack on cassette somewhere, I think. But what he did there with that reference was he... He pointed out what makes movies special and what yeah. makes the music in the movie special is that you make these connections with them and doesn't matter if it's a silly rap song. So many people, he's clearly a 90s kid and he made the reference to the song and I loved it. I went, and I so I enjoyed the fun. It was a fun award show. They did not take themselves seriously. No. And that's always been the big problem. And the there Oscars. were a lot of good movies that were nominated and I liked how they spread it out. Of the nine nominated for Best Picture, eight won something. Uh, the Irishman's the only thing that went home in. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.